Section 3 of The Visits of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Wetmore. Cottage14.blogspot.com. The Visits of Elizabeth by Eleanor Glynn. Heveland Manor. Heveland Manor, Wednesday, August 3rd. Dearest Mamma, I can't think why you made me come here. Agnes has been so sniffy and condescending ever since this morning, but I have remarked that Uncle John's valet is only about forty and has a roving eye, so perhaps by tomorrow morning I shan't have my hair screwed off my head. But I feel for Agnes, only in a different way. It is a stuffy, boring place. You remember the house, enormous, tidy, hideous, uncomfortable. Well, we had such a dinner last night after I arrived. Soup, fish, everything popped onto the table for Great Uncle John to carve at one end and Great Aunt Maria at the other. A regular aquarium specimen of turbot sat on its dish opposite him, while Aunt Maria had a huge lot of souls. And there wasn't any need because there were four men-servants in the room who could easily have done it at the side. But I remember you said it was always like that when you were a little girl. Well, it got on to puddings. I forgot to tell you, though, there were plenty of candles on the table without shades and a bouquet of flowers, all sorts, I'm sure fixed in sand, in a gold middle thing. Well, about the puddings. At least four of them were planted on the table, awfully sweet and jammy, and Uncle John was quite irritated with me because I could only eat two. And Aunt Maria, who has got as deaf as a post, kept roaring to old Major Orwell, who sat next to her, Children have no healthy appetites as in our day, hey, what? And I wanted to scream in reply, but I am grown up now, Aunt Maria. Uncle John asked me every question over and over, and old Lady Farrington's false teeth jumped so once or twice that I got quite nervous. That is the party, me, Major Orwell, Lady Farrington, and uncle and aunt. When dessert was about coming, everything got lifted from the table, and before you could say Jack Robinson, off whisked the cloth. I was so unprepared for it, I said, oh, and ducked my head, and that made the cloth catch an old Lady Farrington's cap. She had to sit on my side of the table to be out of the draught. And wasn't it dreadful? It almost pulled it off, and with it the grey curls fixed at the side, and the rest was all bald. So that's why it was so loose. There was nothing to pin it to. And she glared at me and fixed it as straight as she could, but it had such a saucy look all the rest of the evening. I did apologize as well as I could, and there was such an awkward pause. And after dinner we had coffee in the drawing-room, and then in a little time tea, and between times they sat down to whist, all but Aunt Maria. So they had to have a dummy. She wanted to hear all about you, she said, and my going to visit in France, and so I had to bellow descriptions of your neuralgia, and about Madame de Croixmare being my godmother, etc. And Aunt Maria says, tut, tut, as well as, hey, what, to everything. I'd not remembered a bit what they were like, but I was only six, wasn't I, when we came last. After she'd asked every sort of thing about you under the sun, she kept giving longing glances at the dummy's card, so I said, Oh, Aunt Maria, I am afraid I am keeping you from your whist. 
as soon as I could make her hear, you should have seen how she hopped up like a two-year-old into the vacant seat. And they were far more serious about it than anyone was at Naseby, where they had hundreds on. And Aunt Maria and the others only played for counters, that long mother-of-pearl fish kind. I looked at a book on the table, Lady Blessington's Book of Beauty, and I see then everyone got born with champagne-bottle shoulders. Have they been pairing them for generations before, I wonder? Because old john the keeper at hendon told me once that the best fox terriers arrive now without any tails their mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers having been cut off for so long but i wonder if the fashion changed how could they get long tails again there must be some way because all of us now have square shoulders but what was i saying oh yes when i had finished the beauty book I heard Aunt Maria getting so cross with the old boy opposite her. You've revoked, Major Orwell, she said, whatever that means. Then hot spiced port came in. It was such a close night, and they all had some, and so did I, and it was good. And then candles came. Such lovely silver, and so beautifully cleaned, and Aunt and Uncle kissed me. I dodged Lady Farrington's false teeth, because after her cap incident she might have bitten me. And Uncle said, too late, too late for a little one to sit up, no beauty sleep. And Aunt Maria said, tut, tut. And I thought it must be the middle of the night, it felt like it. But do you know, Mamma, when I got upstairs to my room, it was only half past ten. I have such a huge room, with a four-post feather bed in it. I had let Agnes go to bed directly after her supper, with a toothache, so I had to get undressed by myself. And I was afraid to climb in from the side, it was so high up but I found some steps with blue carpet on them, as well as a table with a Bible, and a funny old china medicine spoon and a glass and water jug on it, and the steps did nicely, for when I got to the top I just took a header into the feathers. It seemed quite comfy at first, but in a few minutes, goodness gracious, I was suffocated, and it was such a business getting the whole mass on the floor, and then I did not know very well how to make the bed again, and I had not a very good night, and overslept myself in the morning. So I got down late for prayers. Uncle John reads them, and Aunt Maria repeats responses whenever she thinks best, as she can't hear a word. But I suppose she counts up, and from long habit just says, Amen, when she gets to the end of thirty, say, fancying that will be right. And it is generally. Only Uncle John stopped in the middle to say, Damn that dog, as Fido was whining and scratching outside, so that put her out and brought in the Amen too soon. After breakfast, Aunt Maria jingled a large bunch of keys, and said it was her day for seeing the linen room, and wouldn't I like to go with her, as all young people should have housewifely ideas. So I went. It is so beautifully kept, and such lovely linen, all with lavender between it. And she talked to the housekeeper, and looked over everything. She seemed to know each sheet by name. Then we went to the storeroom, all as neat as a new pin and from there to interview all the old people from the village who were waiting with requests, and some of them were as deaf as she is. So the housekeeper had to scream at both sides, and I was tired when we got back, and did want to rush out of doors, but I had to wait, and then walk between Lady Farrington and Aunt Maria up and down the path in the sun till lunch at one o'clock. And after that we went for a drive in the barouche, with the fattest white horses you ever saw, and a coachman just like Cinderella's one that had been a rat. He seemed to have odd bits of fur on his face and under his chin, and Aunt Maria said that he suffered from a sore throat, that was why, which he caught at Aunt Mary's wedding. 
and so I counted up, and as Aunt Mary is your eldest sister, it must have been more than twenty years ago. I do call that a long sore throat, don't you? And I wouldn't keep a coachman with a beard, would you? We went at a snail's pace and got in at four o'clock, and then there was tea at half-past, with the nicest bread and butter you ever tasted. And after that I said I must write to you, and so here I am. And I feel that if it goes on much longer I shall do something dreadful. Now good-bye, dearest Mamma, your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Heveland Manor, Friday, August 5th. Dearest Mamma, I am glad tomorrow will soon be here and that I can come home. But I must tell you about yesterday. First, all the morning it rained. And what with roaring at Aunt Maria, and holding skeins of wool for Lady Farrington, I got such jumps that I felt I should scream unless I got out. So after lunch, while they were both having a nap in their chairs, I slipped off for a walk by myself. It was still raining, but not much. I took Fido, who is generally a little beast, and far too fat. We had a nice scamper, and had turned to come back not far from the park, when who do you think came riding up? Lord Valmond! The last person one expected to see down here. He never waited a second when he saw me, but jumped off his horse and beamed, just as if we had parted the best of friends. Did you ever hear of such impudence? Of course, I should have walked on without recognizing him if I had been left to myself, but he took me so by surprise that I had shaken hands before I knew, and then it was too late to walk on. It appears he has a place down here, which he never comes to generally, but just happened to now, to see how the young pheasants were doing. He began at once to talk, as if I had never been angry or boxed his ears at all. It really exasperated me, so at last I said he had better get on his horse again, as I wanted to run on with Fido. So then he said he had just been on his way to call on Aunt Maria, and would come with me. I said I was sure that wasn't true, as he was going the other way. So he said that he had been only going that way to give his horse a little exercise, and that he intended to go in at the other gate. I said I was sure that wasn't true either, as there was no way round that way unless one jumped the park palings. So he said that was what he had intended to do. Just then we came to the turnstile of the right away, so I slipped through and called out, Then I won't keep you from your exercise, and walked on as fast as I could. What do you think he did, Mamma? Simply got on his horse and jumped those palings there and then. I can't think how he wasn't killed. There was almost no take-off, and the fence was so high. However, there he was, and I could not get away again, because if I had run, the horse could easily have kept up with me. But I only said yes and no all the way to the house, so he could not have enjoyed it much. We went straight to the drawing-room, where tea was almost up, and there was Lady Farrington alone, still asleep, and her cap had fallen right back, and all the bald was showing, and just then a carriage drove up to the door, and we heard visitors and the footsteps in the hall. I had just time to cry to Lord Valmond, Keep them back while I wake her! And then I rushed to Lady Farrington and shouted in her ear, Visitors! And, and, your cap is a little crooked! Hey, what? She screamed, and her teeth as nearly as possible jumped onto the carpet. She simply flew to the mirror, but, as you know, it is away so high up she couldn't see, so she made frantic efforts with her hands and just got it to cover the bald in a rakish one-sided way, when the whole lot streamed into the room. Lord Valmond looked awfully uncomfortable. Goodness knows what he had said to them to keep them back. Anyway, Harvey announced, Mrs. and the Mrs. Clark. 
and a thin, very high-nosed person, followed by two buffish girls, came forward. Lady Farrington said, How do you do? as well as she could. They were some friends of hers and Aunt Maria's who were staying with the Morvans, I gathered from their conversation. They must have thought she had been on a spree since last they met. I could scarcely behave for laughing, and did not dare look at Lord Valmond. They had not been there more than five minutes, when another carriage arrived and two other ladies were announced. The Mrs. Clark! The other Clarks glared like tigers, and Lady Farrington lowered her chin and eyelashes at them. She has just the same manners as the people at Naseby, although she is such a frump. It is because she is an earl's daughter, I suppose. And she called out to Harvey at the top of her voice, Let Lady Warden be told at once there are visitors. The poor new things looked so uncomfortable that I felt, as I was Aunt Maria's niece, I at least must be polite to them, so I asked them to sit down, and we talked. They were jolly, fat, vulgar souls, who have taken the Orton's place, they told me, and this was their return visit, as the Orton's had asked Aunt Maria to call. They were quite old maids, past thirty, with such funny, grand, best-smart, Sunday-go-to-meeting-looking clothes on. It appears that Harvey had sent a footman up to Aunt Maria's door to tell her the first clerk's arrival, and then, terrified by Lady Farrington's voice, had rushed up himself to announce the second lot, and he met Aunt Maria on the stairs coming down, and of course she had never heard the difference between Mrs. and the Mrs., and thought he was simply hurrying her up for the first set. So in she sailed all smiles, and as Mrs. Clark was nearest the door, she got to her first, and was so glad to see her. "'Dear, dears, years since we met, Honoria,' she said. "'And these are all your bonny girls, tut, tut!' And she looked at the fat Clarks, who came next. "'Ah, yes, I can see. What a wonderful likeness to poor dear Arthur!' Furious glances from Mrs. Clark, whose daughters are my age. And this must be Millicent, she said, taking the second fat Clark's hand. Yes, yes, why she takes after you, my dear Honoria. Tut, tut! And she squeezed hands and beamed at them all in the kindest way. Mrs. Clark, bursting with fury, tried to say there were no relations of hers, but of course Aunt Maria could not catch all that, only the word relations. And she then caught sight of the buff Clarklets in the background. Ah, yes, I see these are your girls. I have mistaken the, your other relations for them. Then she turned again to the fat Clarks, evidently liking their jolly faces best. But one can see they are Clarks. Let me guess. Yes, they must be poor Henry's children. At this, Lord Valmond had such a violent fit of choking by the tea-table that Aunt Maria, who hears the oddest, most unexpected things, caught that and saw him, and saying, Oh, how do you do? created a diversion. Presently I heard Lady Farrington roaring in a whisper into her ears the difference between the clocks and the clarks, and the poor dear was so upset, but her kind heart came up trumps, and she was awfully nice to the two vulgar clerks, who had the good sense to go soon, and then the others went. Then she got Lord Valmond on to her sofa, and he screamed such heaps of nice things into her ear, just as if she had been Mrs. Smith, and she was so pleased. And Uncle John came in, and they talked about the pheasants and he asked Lord Valmond to dinner on Saturday night, tomorrow, and he looked timidly at me to see if I was still angry with him and wanted him not to come, so I smiled sweetly, and he accepted joyfully. Isn't it lovely, Mamma? I shall be home with you by then, and Lady Farrington and Major Orwell are going too, so he will have to play dummy whist all the evening with Uncle and Aunt and eat his dinner at half-past six. Now, good night, your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. End of section 3